Very good morning, Amokyo family. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we continue our sermon series on the book of 1 Corinthians. But let me begin with this true story as an illustration. When you search the words Rocho Binkert, you'll be surprised that at least four store names will pop up. There's Rocho Original Binkert, there's Rocho Binkert House, there's Binkert City, and then there's Old Rocho Binkert and Mean Traditional Binkert. Well, that's because they are owned by four rival siblings. The family feud supposedly began when Madame Ko, the mom, allegedly favoured the second son by giving him and his wife a share of the company but not her other two sons. And when this second son challenged his brothers to open up a store next to him, they did just that. And not long after, one of these two other brothers opened up Binkert City while the other started Rocho Binkert House. Soon after, their only sister also went on to start her own store. Now last week we learned that 1 Corinthians deals with how Christians ought to relate to one another because now we are one family. And what's the worst thing you know that can happen to a family? Quarrels, divisions, just like this Rocho Binkert family field. In the same way, Apostle Paul's first and greatest concern when he wrote to the Corinthian church was the internal strife and divisions they were facing. Very start, at the early start, it says verse 10, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So obviously, Apostle Paul was very concerned about this issue of internal division quarrels and strife. Please let me pray over our church a prayer of unity as we begin this sermon. Papa God, as we step into 2021, we want to declare, I want to declare over Amokyo Church a spirit of unity that you bind us in mind and thought. Let there be no divisions or discord sown among us. Let us all possess the mind of Christ and let our unity be like the anointing that flows down Aaron's beard so that people in the community and beyond will see how good and pleasing it is to be part of this Amokyo family. In Jesus' name we declare and we pray. Amen. Now in case you are wondering, all four Binkert businesses have now passed on to the third generation and these new owners have decided not to carry grudges anymore towards their family members saying that it's time they look forward and not backwards. And so we thank God for their reconciliation in this family. But back to the issue of division in 1 Corinthians, Paul too wants them to put their disputes aside for the greater good as the family of God. Paul jumps straight to highlight the root cause of this division in verse 12. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, and still another, I follow Christ. From this simple statement, we can probably guess what's happening in the Corinthian church. They were all enamored by the big names in Christianity at the time. Paul was the famous antagonist turned ally. He was formerly a Pharisee and definitely the poster boy of someone who vehemently persecuted Christians. But now he's, he's championing Christianity. Then we have Apollos. From what we read between the lines, he was likely to be an extremely eloquent preacher. And no doubt that drew him many followers. Cephas was Simon Peter's Greek name. 
And Simon Peter here is the very first disciple of Christ. Can anyone be bigger than that? So all these were the big names at the time. And of course, some smart aleck comes along and says something super spiritual. I follow Christ. So Paul replies by teaching that there is nothing superior in any of them, whether it's Paul himself, Apollos, Cephas, and even reminds the Corinthians, as we will see later on, that the Christ they claim to follow is not a triumphalist type of Christ. Look at verses 13 to 16. Paul says that he's thankful that he did not baptize most of them so that most of them cannot claim any anointing you know, or any spiritual linkage back to him. Because Paul was acutely aware of how we human beings like to be associated with the big names, thinking there's somehow more anointing with certain people or that certain preachers are wiser or better. So the first lesson we want to learn as the church here, the church family here, that we must do well to avoid such superstar Christianity mentality. So don't ever idolize any preacher or pastor. Take Ravi Zacharias, for example, possibly the most well-loved apologist in my time. The interim report, however, issued by the investigation company recently implies that Ravi Zacharias was indeed involved in sexual misconduct. As much as I find it hard to believe, given the persona you know, that this man shows the world, but this is really a grim reminder that all of us preachers and pastors are also fallen human beings. And just as there is no perfect church, there won't be a perfect pastor, there won't ever be a perfect preacher. So practically this means that we should not be concerned about who baptizes us, who signs off the baptism or membership cert, neither should we be choosing which pastor or preacher to follow. And this is one reason why I have stopped publishing, you know, the pulpit schedule of who the lineup of pastors. Because I believe every preacher and pastor is called by God, and God can speak through anyone, if only we have years to hear. Importantly, Paul addresses the heart of the matter here. God's wisdom is totally unlike our human understanding of wisdom. God's wisdom comes to the lowly, it comes to the weak. For context, Corinth again is a Greek city. And like most Greeks of the day, philosophy, wisdom are highly prized. But Paul goes against the grain and he writes in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be empty of his power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perish, perishing, but to, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through his wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Notice what Paul intentionally says here. He chooses not to preach with wisdom and eloquence that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of his power. Of course, this doesn't mean that we preachers, pastors should be lazy when it comes to the pulpit. 
But it does mean that sometimes wisdom and eloquence can interfere with God's work. If a preacher preaches well, you probably walk away thinking, wow, that's a good sermon. But if a preacher preaches badly, and yet you feel the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, you can be pretty sure that it was God who spoke to you. So as we begin 2021, I ask that you keep all of us pastors and preachers in your prayers. Pray that we will always preach with conviction and power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And then Paul makes his strongest point yet, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who are perishing here refers to non-believers, but the message of the cross is God's power to those of us who are being saved. Verses 22 and 23 again, Paul writes, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. If it helps you to remember, the Greek word for stumbling block is related to our English word scandal. And the Greek word for foolishness is related to our English word moron. So preaching Christ crucified is scandalous and moronic. <laughs> Think about that. Why? Because to the Jewish mind, the Messiah is supposed to be victorious, not crucified to the cross. And to the Greek mind, it is impossible that God can die. It will be a philosophical conundrum. That would mean that he wasn't really God in the first place if he could die. And that is why Paul quotes Isaiah 29 verse 14. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate because the way of the cross is simply ridiculous beyond our human understanding. Now, most of us are so used to the symbol of the cross that many of us have beautified it and even maybe, you know, venerated it. But to the first century folks, the cross is one of the cruelest ways of execution that human beings have ever invented. Imagine being stripped naked, being pierced through your arms, your feet, and left to hang for days. Now, Jesus died very quickly because he was so badly bruised. Most of the criminals are left hanging on the cross for days. And every breath that you try to breathe is excruciating because you have to kick your heel against the beam in order just to push yourself up to breathe. And so the cross really is one of the most humiliating and most painful ways to die. It's a long and slow and painful death. There have been many religions and philosophies which claim that God became incarnate. Christianity is actually not unique in that. In fact, even the virgin birth is not unique to Christianity. In ancient Greece, there are so many gods who are said to have come from virgins. Even Plato's mother was said to be a virgin. Hinduism, Buddhism, and even ancient China all have their fair share of virgin births. But there is only one religion which happily builds its foundation around a lowly, weak, and crucified Messiah, a Savior who would die. And that's us, Christians. Let's be frank. Like the Corinthians, we will very much prefer a triumphant Christ, the resurrected Christ. Like 2020 was a bad year, we hope 2021 will be a great year. We are all wired for hope. And I think that's okay because, you know, hope keeps us alive. But Paul keeps returning to the image of a crucified Christ. Why? Because he wants the, the Corinthian church to be 
to stop being carnal in their thinking, to stop being carnal in their thinking. According to Bruce Wilkinson, there are three general categories of people. First, they are non-believers. We can term them as worldly, simply because they are in the world. Second, they are believers who are supposed to be spiritually minded. But there is a third category, the carnal Christian, who are supposed to be spiritual in their thinking, and yet they live like the world, they think like the world. And the Corinthian Christians are basically in this third category. They are carnal. They pride themselves over who they are following, Paul, Apollo, Cephas, or even an exalted Christ. But Paul rebukes them and reminds them that, cruci- that crucified Christ really is at the heart of the gospel. Instead of aiming high, Paul tells them to go low, stay weak. To go low may mean for us doing things which no one likes to do, quietly working behind the scenes, not seeking recognition in order to serve God, and maybe even taking the painful way of service. Staying weak may mean, you know, we step out of our comfort zones in order to attempt things for God, which we will feel very uncomfortable to do in our own human effort. So that we can learn to fully depend on God. Now, up to this point, I've deliberately made the sermon kind of heavy going because I want to illustrate what Paul was saying here. He chooses to preach not with wisdom and eloquence so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of his power. Now, some of you may think that I can speak eloquently, but the truth is that I'm not a natural speaker. I often stumble my own words as you just witness. I get stage fright. And if there's any wisdom in me, I can honestly say it's only because God has been gracious enough to answer my prayer request for wisdom. My wife, who knows me since our university days, can definitely attest that I'm not naturally wise. And so when God called me to ministry, it is clear that I'm neither eloquent nor wise. And so when I preach, it is the cross of Christ that is being preached, so that it will not be emptied of its power. And likewise, all of us here in Amoka family, many of us are not eloquent, but we are called to preach Christ because it's not about us, it's about Christ crucified. The reality is that the message we preach will never ever resonate with the world because it is a stumbling block, it's a foolishness to them. But we must preach Christ crucified anyway. And then Paul shifts gear in verse 26 and following. He utilizes a very brilliant rhetoric here. Paul says, look, you Corinthians, let's face it. You were nobodies to begin with. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You see the rhetoric here? Paul is saying, hey, you think so highly of yourself? Actually, you were foolish, you were weak. And in verse 28, Paul continues, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Really, if we understand these scriptural truths, it ought to be the same with us. None of us can claim to have discovered God by our wisdom and intellect. Nor can we claim to own God or have done anything to earn our salvation. Instead, we can only boast in the Lord. Because unless God chose to reveal himself to us, 
unless God was willing to send His Holy Spirit to awaken our spirits, we would be completely lost in sin. However, if there's one aspect of us Methodists we may struggle with, it's the area of wealth. Recently, Channel 5 screened uh, the movie Crazy Rich Asians. In one scene, the rich Thai Thais were reading the Bible. And in another scene, they called themselves Methodists. As much as I wish that wasn't true, to some extent, I concede that if we Methodists here in Singapore had an Achilles heel, it would probably be a debt of our wealth. Not that we cannot become rich, but we must never reach the point where we become rich in things, but poor in soul, where our attention is focused on keeping that wealth instead of stewarding that wealth to use it for the kingdom of God. I pray for all of us that we will never reach the point that we become so rich and respectable that God will bypass us. Because God, you see, never changes. God will always choose the lowly, weak and despised things of our world to shame the rich, the strong. Historically, the church has always grown the most when it went down, when it went low, reached out to the lowest members of society. So too we as a church, if we truly want to learn to grow and walk in Christ's footsteps, we must learn to go low and stay weak and do things that are beyond our human ability. And then we will know that God truly is at work among us. Again, to be clear, I want to say here, there is nothing wrong against being rich and educated. Apostle Paul himself was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, certainly the very elite of society back then. The crucial difference is that he did not pride himself in his birth status or in any of his achievements. In fact, he wrote about his attitude in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider them as loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Not that I have already obtained all this, jumping to verse 12, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul chose to go low, to stay weak, forget the past, all the achievements, and simply press on ahead. When Paul says he chose to consider all things as loss, he really did live it out. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5. to And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What if one day I invite a speaker who is not eloquent at all, but when you hear me preach, you can sense the power of God 
Are we going to despise the kind of preacher? I hope not. Because according to what Paul has demonstrated, it is not wisdom or human eloquence that matters. It really is the Spirit of God, the power of God at work through Christ crucified. So Paul again chose to be weak and lowly by human standards in order to preach the gospel with the Spirit's power. John Sung was another man who chose to go low. He was born in 1901 in Fujian Province, China. He left for America in 1920 and earned his undergraduate, graduate and postgraduate degrees in five and a half years, obtaining his PhD in chemistry. Five and a half years to get three degrees. We are talking about this extremely brilliant chap here. But then in America, he was converted at Union Seminary in 1927. On his return trip to China, he was so determined to give up everything to preach the gospel that he famously tossed all his scholarly awards into the Pacific Ocean. He literally counted all of them as lost. And within 12 years of active ministry, he became an evangelist revivalist who shook the church in China and Southeast Asia. And he's famously known as the Westie of China, the apostle, uh, the apostle of China and possibly the greatest preacher of the last century. Well, what was his secret? Like Apostle Paul, he considered all things lost as compared to knowing Christ and preaching Christ crucified. He went low. He chose to be weak, in fact, going to prison as well. In fact, it was said that the, the, the elite of those days, they really disliked John Sung's methods. But God vindicated him and through his ministry brought about great revivals and countless conversions. I sense today in my spirit that some of you hearing the message today are also sensing God's call to be preachers. Will you also give up everything to count all things as lost in order to gain Christ and preach Christ crucified? Now, if that's you, please write in to me and let's dialogue further and see how the Lord will bring you on this journey. For all of us, really today's message is simple. Go low, stay weak, Serve like a servant because that's what Jesus did. And it's okay to be weak because Jesus demonstrated that. And importantly, we should choose to be weak because when we are weak, then only God is strong. By the way, do you know how all family feuds are eventually resolved? I think you and I know the secret. It's when someone chooses to humble themselves, go low, stay weak, and then we seek reconciliation. We lay down our pride for the good of the family. We started this sermon with a food illustration. Let's end it with another food illustration. For many families in continental Europe, Christmas ends not with an intense food coma uh, on December 25th like us here in Singapore, but they have a special celebration on January the 6th, a Christian holiday known as Epiphany, or more commonly known as Three Kings Day. January 6th for them is a time of feasting and finally taking down those Christmas decorations. In France, the Epiphany has been associated with a very special dessert. I can't pronounce it in French. So in English, it's known as the Epiphany Cake or the Cake of Kings. Now this practice has evolved over the past 700 years and most European countries today no longer celebrate it with any religious meaning. But one family here in Amokyo that I know has adopted this ancient practice. Now, this king pie will be cut into individual portions 
And starting from the youngest to the oldest, each one takes a slice. So the youngest one gets to start first to choose. Hidden within this piece, the king cake, is a small porcelain piece of the figurine of a king. Whoever gets that figurine, of course, provided you don't break your teeth, ah, but I think that piece will have certain expectations. If the youngest one finds that piece, he will be king for the next day and everyone would serve him. But of course, this king must behave well, behave like a king. But if someone in, who is older finds this porcelain piece, the figurine of a king, he will serve others because it serves as a reminder of who our King Jesus is and what he does. Our King Jesus came to serve and not to be served. I pray for all of us at Amokyo family that we will learn to grow in this area of service, to go low, stay weak, and always serve rather than seek to be served. Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you for the example you have set for us in your son Jesus and also in the Apostle Paul, John Sung, and many others in Christian history. Father, we pray you send your Holy Spirit, empower us to go low, to stay weak, and to serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.